friends, this is Scott Pauley, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for the Weekend Pulpit. From time to time, it's my privilege to share a Bible message that God has used to affect my life in a unique way. And today's message from God's Word is from a guest preacher and someone that is very special to me. I hope you'll get your Bible and follow along as we listen for the Lord to speak to our hearts. Well, we've got a great passage of Scripture. I hope you have your Bibles open uh, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. That was the second passage that, uh, that Keegan read. He read verses 41 and 42. I want to show you something in verse 42. Now, when you read the Old Testament, um, th there are some parts of the Old Testament that you read and, and you understand, oh, I know why God put that in there. Uh, there's great passages, for instance, some of the Psalms. There's one Psalm, and here's how it starts, okay? I want, here's how it starts out. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, we know that why that's in there, don't we? Because that's one of the things Christ said on the cross, is it not? That's a Psalm about the cross. We know that why Isaiah 53 is there, where it talks about how, how Christ uh, was the, as a sheep uh, before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's a Psalm about Christ. Pretty easy to pick up on that, is it not? There are other places in the Old Testament that you read them and you say, well, I know God wanted me to know that, but I don't know why. I was reading in Genesis 35 uh, a while back, and it talks about this guy that found the mules in the wilderness. And I thought, okay, well, great. He found some mules in the wilderness. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Lord, show me why you put that in there. But how many of you know there's a reason that's in there? Every word of God is inspired. But there are places, and, and when I think about Solomon, we've been studying 1 Kings and the life of Solomon and he lived, he reigned for 40 years. For 40 years, he was a king. And how many of you know, uh, there's probably a lot of stories about Solomon. I mean, any guy that's got 700 wives and 300 concubines, he's got some stories to tell. <laughs> and to be honest, for 40 years of reigning, there's really not a lot of detail uh, about the days of Solomon. The everyday, I'd like to know about his everyday life. I mean, how do you deal with 700 wives? Give me, give me some advice. Having trouble with one sometimes. And she's got a lot of trouble with me. Um, so why is this story? But now the story of the queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, you don't have to wonder why it's in there. And I love it when God shows you in the New Testament why the story's in the Old Testament. And the reason that God included of all those 40 years worth of stories that Solomon uh, could have written about, that the Holy Spirit could have written about Solomon's life, God chose this one story about a visit from the Queen of Sheba. And, the, and there's a reason God put that story in the Old Testament and excluded everything else. And it tells you in Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 42, and I want to show you. Now, it doesn't say the Queen of Sheba. Jesus calls her something different in Matthew chapter 12. But in verse 42, it says, The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation. And the Queen of the South right there, if you want to mark that little phrase and put out beside it, if you write in your Bible, 1 Kings 10, that's the Queen of Sheba. And Jesus refers to her as the queen of the south. Now, 
Why do we have the story of the Queen of Sheba? And we're going to go back and look at it because there's five amazing things that I want to show you uh, from that story that we need in our life. But Matthew 12 tells us why that story's there. And Matthew 12 is a, it is a huge chapter in the Bible. It's a, a hinge. You know, a door swings on a hinge. It swings one way or the other. And Matthew 12 is a hinge chapter. The, 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 the tables are going to turn in Matthew 12. Up until this point, Christ has been presenting himself to his people, the Jews. And he's been saying, hey, I'm your king. I'm your king. You know how Matthew starts, don't you, the book of Matthew? It starts with a visit from the wise men. You're going to read it. And what do the wise men say when they come? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's how Matthew starts his book. And for the first 10, 11 chapters, the book of Matthew is all about Jesus saying, I'm your king. And, uh, but in Matthew 12, something happens. In fact, Jesus uses a word that when I was a kid, I hated this word. I hated when my mom and dad told me this word. It's a, it is a little word, but I, I hated it with an utter hatred. You know what the word was? No. In fact, I heard that word a lot in my life. And Jesus, actually, they make a request. And how many of you are thankful that we, we pray to God and God answers us? But in this case, Jesus, they asked Jesus to do something, and he said, no. And that happens in Matthew 12. So you say, well, what's going on? Here's what's going on in Matthew 12. Um, his own people rejected him for the last time. That's, that's the gist of it. If I had to put it in one paragraph, here's what I would say. What happens in Matthew 12 is the leaders of the nation of Israel get their final chance to say yes to their king, and they blow it. And so Jesus reveals for the first time in the New Testament that if you don't want me, I'll go to the Gentiles. So it's a, how many of you see, that's a pretty powerful chapter. I'll tell you something else about Matthew 12. And we're going to talk about it at the end of the message. So stay awake. If for no other reason you stay awake from this. This is the chapter where uh, what people call the unpardonable sin is mentioned. How many have ever heard that expression? Raise your hand. The unpardonable sin. All right. Well, we're, th that is mentioned in this chapter. And basically what it is is like the, they looked. Oh, you, get it. They looked face to face with the Son of God. At the Son of God and turned. And walked away. And so in Matthew 12, Jesus says, okay, they will, there will be no more conviction. There will be no more miracles. No, he said to him, no more miracles for you. No more conviction for you. I'm turning to the Gentiles now. Whoa. Okay, so he gives two examples in verse 41 of Matthew 12 and verse 42. Okay, the first example is the, the story of Nineveh. Look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation. He's saying, okay, there's going to be a final judgment day. And at that final judgment day, when you stand before me and, and, and I ask you why you're not saved and you give me your excuses, I'm going to call for witness against you, the men of Nineveh. 
And when you say, I couldn't believe your message, it was too big, it was too preposterous, preposterous. I mean, there was something about your message that was just too hard for me to believe. I'm going to call the men of Nineveh against you in judgment, and the men of Nineveh are going to say, we believe the word of a guy named Jonah who we didn't know, who came from another country, and he only had one sentence. He just went up and down the streets of Nineveh saying, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. Repent. Do you know how, you know how much the people of Nineveh, you ought to read the story of Jonah. It's four chapters. You won't believe what happened. This guy Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, walks up and down the city of Nineveh saying, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. Repent. And didn't even want to be there. Can you imagine if we had an evangelist come to the service one Sunday, and I introduced him. I said, this is a great guy. You're going to love him. He's been an inspiration to me. You get your Bibles ready. Let's go. And he gets up there and says, well, I just hate being here. I hate Georgia. I hate Vidalia, Georgia. I don't even want to be here. I hate all of you. Now take your Bibles. And that's what Jonah did. He hated Ninevites. And, but you, you won't believe what happened. You, you go back and read it. Fact check me. Google it. <laughs> they repented so much. The Bible says from the workmen all the way to the king, they put sackcloth and ashes on them. They didn't eat or drink water. They fasted from eating or drinking. And this is what, they even put sackcloth and ashes on their animals. Now that, that's Repenting. Can you imagine if you came to the altar and you were, you were coming to the altar and you brought your dog and your cat down to the altar with you and said, Lord, our house is a mess. We got a bunch of sin in our house. I'm praying for me and God, I'm praying for, for Fido and I'm praying for Meow right here. Let's all get right with God. I won't baptize your cat. I promise you that though. Don't bring your cat and ask me to baptize him. But how many of you agree with me? That's getting right with God. When you put the sackcloth and ashes on the donkey and the horse. So he says, now, when you stand before me at judgment and you tell me that that little, that little preacher put his finger in your face and told you you need to get saved and it was just too hard for you to believe, I'm going to call up the men of Nineveh and, I'm, I, and they're going to say, yeah, Jonah was a crazy looking guy, seaweed hanging from his hair, fish guts coming out of his ear. Walking up and down the street, only had one message that he repeated over and over and over again, and yet we got right with God. Why didn't you? But then the second, the second person he's calling up, verse 42, the queen of the south. That's the queen of Sheba. And just like the men of Nineveh are going to testify against people who would not repent at the message of Jesus or Jesus' ministers, the queen of the south is going to be called up to testify against people that say this, well, nobody told me. Uh -oh. I didn't know. Uh -oh. And the queen of the south is going to say, yeah, nobody told me either. Yeah, I didn't know either. I just heard a little rumor about a guy named Solomon who built a temple of the Lord, and I traveled 1,500 miles by camel through the desert just to find out for myself. And if I can find out the truth of Jehovah God for myself in the Old Testament with very little light, you got a Bible in your lap. you got radio preachers on the radio. You can turn on the television or get on the Internet and find it. What is your excuse? Hey, That's right. Whoa. 
So what did the queen of Sheba do? Here it is, number one. Watch this. She came. Simple. She came. She, she heard this, this far-off rumor about a, a guy named Solomon that had the truth of God and, and that had the wisdom of God. And she came. Somebody's going to stand before God one day. Somebody in this room. And you're going to say, oh, it's too busy. Well, you don't think a queen is busy? I, I was too important. Uh, I had too many people who were depending on me. Listen, I, I, would have, I would have done what I was supposed to do. I would have done what God wanted me to do. But you don't understand, I'm a busy person. And the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment against this generation because she came to see Solomon in all his wisdom. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. We're not talking about Solomon. We're talking about a king. I love what the Bible says about it. Did you see that? When she saw everything that Solomon was, there was no more spirit in her. That word spirit is the same word for breath. She was breathless. If I had put a title on the message, I may call it breathless before the king. Because one day you're going to stand before a greater than Solomon. And just like he took her breath away, there'll be no breath left in you. What are you? You're not too busy. She came. She came. She was surrounded. By the way, you know those ancient courts uh, were surrounded by what they called wise men. But I'm thankful that she understood that there was somebody wiser than her wise men. I don't care how smart you think you are. You come to Jesus. You come to him. He is the fountain of all wisdom. And I want to tell you something. I learned a long time ago, I'm not intimidated. I'm not in any way intimidated by the so-called experts because the people that are at the University of Georgia and, the, and, and Georgia Tech or Georgia Southern that have the PhDs behind their name, but they don't have the truth of God's Word. They can't tell you where you came from, and they certainly can't tell you where you're going when you die. But the fountain of all wisdom is that book in your lap, and it tells you where you came from. It tells you your purpose. It brings joy in your heart, and it tells you where you're going to go when you die. Cast aside your wisdom. A greater than Solomon is here. Men, the wise men in the New Testament... They came to bow before a king. And wise men still bow before a king. I want to say something to our young ladies in this room. Now, you know, people today, that's a big thing today, is it not? And I want to tell you something. Feminism at its root, feminism at its root is purely from the devil. It's out of the pit of hell. But there are people today, and especially young ladies in this room, I want to say this to you. You can't find a greater role model than the Queen of Sheba. You talk about a powerful woman. I mean, here's a woman with power. Here's a woman that's attained the top. She's gotten to the top. And, and what does she do? She bows before a Jewish king, before the Word of God. And I'm telling you something. The greatest thing you'll ever do to liberate your life is to bow before the one that created liberty. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father God to thee, author of liberty. The devil puts you in bondage. Jesus said, I come to set you free. And these people that talk about being free, being free from the patriarchal society and being free from the dominance and all this, I'm telling you something, that's a lie. The freest thing you can do is submit yourself to the Word of God. Christ shall set you free, you'll be free indeed. She's a great example. She came. She'll rise up in judgment against people in the last day. As they stand before Jesus Christ, they stand before the King of Kings. 
And they'll, they'll have their excuses. And she'll say, oh, yes, but I came. And the one I came to is not near as great as the one that's asked you to come to him. She came a great distance. I, I just want to say this. Duties never conflict. The Bible never changes. If Jesus Christ wanted his followers to meet with him weekly in the first century, Jesus wants his followers to meet with him faithfully in the 20, 20th century. People are going to say, well, I was too busy to come to Christ. I was too busy to get to know him better. And the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment day and say, you were busy, were you? It was too hard, was it? I traveled 1,500 miles by a camel. If I came, you can come. It cost her greatly. Hey, you think about this. She was not even invited and she came. <laughs> can you imagine that? And you know what we do every Sunday? We stand up and we get what's called an invitation. Where as a preacher of the gospel, that God ordained me to preach the gospel years ago. He called me to preach. He ordained me to preach. He's given me a call to preach. And I stand up and say, hey, listen, the God that called me, the Christ that called me is calling you. And if you'll get saved, come and get saved. You've been invited. And the Queen of Sheba will stand up and say, every Sunday the conviction came over your heart and you said no. She'll rise up in judgment. Jesus looked at those Pharisees, those leaders in, in Matthew 12 in our text and said, you've looked at the Son of God. You've looked at the King of Kings in His face and you've turned and walked away. And the Queen of Sheba wasn't even invited and she came and you won't come to me. She came. Number two, she communed. You know, 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse number 2, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you, 1 Kings 10. Uh, verse 1 says, The queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon. 1 Kings 10, 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. Verse 2, And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, so number one, she came. Number two, she communed. The Bible says she communed with him of all that was in her heart. heart. Now, to, to commune means, at the base means to communicate, to talk. To commune means to, to community. To, to sit down together, to be, to be together. I want you to know that she didn't send someone for her. She came personally. Can I tell everybody in this room something? Men, look at me, men. Your wife can't commune with Jesus for you. You got to do it. Look at me, young people. Your mom's faith and your dad's faith is not enough to get you to heaven. No one rides a coattail to heaven. God has no grandchildren, only children. You can't be saved because your parents are saved. You can't be saved because your husband's saved. You can't be saved just because your wife's saved. It's got to be a personal. She came. She communed personally. She talked to Solomon herself. Have you done that personally? I'm not asking you if your mom and dad brought you to church every Sunday. I'm asking, have, have you looked at the Son of God and said, I want you to be my king? She came directly to Solomon. Now, you know, if it were me, and I'd heard all these stories about Solomon, there's some wild stories about Solomon. I might want to go see the temple first. All the gold. Can you imagine a, a, a building totally encased in gold? 
And they said that you could see it from miles away there on top of the mountain as the sun hit it. It just literally almost glowed. Have you ever been driving through Atlanta and, you know, after you got through the shock and the awe and the anger and the bullets and the state patrols? No, I'm just kidding. And uh, you go around the corner and you look up and you see the gold dome. And that's impressive to us. But now you can't imagine what the temple looked like. I might have been tempted to go to the temple first. I might have been tempted to see this uh, house of, 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 of in the woods that he called, or maybe his armory, or maybe go by and visit the stalls of chariots, 40,000 horses. Can you imagine that? But you know what? She didn't go to any of those. She went to him first. And you know, there's some wonderful things about our Savior, but the way to get saved is just go to him first. Some people are so hung up about the church. I've, I've talked to people before and said, wouldn't you like to be saved? And they said, well, well, i tell you what, if I ever find a church that's real, you're caught up at, with the chariots. You're caught up with the, with, the, with the buildings. Go to the king. She came personally. She, she talked to him directly. She had, the Bible says, many hard questions. Did you see that when Keegan read it? Many hard, you know, sometimes we look at Christ and we think, well, he's good for, the, you know, little things. I tell you what, it honors him when you ask him big things. There's people in this room right now, and you've got a relationship that needs to be right with God. And it's a huge thing. Maybe you think that there's nothing that can help you. I'm telling you, he specializes in hard questions. Spurgeon wrote about this passage. Spurgeon, most people don't realize, but Spurgeon dealt with depression his whole life. He actually died at a very young age. And when, when depression would hit him, he would, he would literally not be in the pulpit for three or four weeks. But Spurgeon said this about this passage. He said, there's no depressed person that can't come to the king. In your depression, when you feel like the, the walls are caving in around you, how many of you are thankful? That's not too hard for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. There's no relationship. There's, there's no, listen, there are people that say, well, I tell you what, preacher, if you knew what I was or what I am or what I've done. Listen, I'm telling you something. There's no sinner too big for him to save. Read the story of the prodigal son. You say, but my temptation is too strong. I, I can't shake it. I, I can't get over it. Listen, I've tried before and I failed. I've tried before. I'm telling you something. Bring it to the king. You'd be amazed at what people have laid on this altar. They've laid stuff on this altar before that I wanted to get out before the police got here. But I'm thankful there's people that have gotten victory over those. She, she came. She communed. Look at, what, look at what it says in verse 6. You got 1 Kings 10. She confessed. <laughs> Notice what she says in verse number 6. And she said, <laughs> all right, she's going to say something. After, after coming to this king and after communing with this king and coming to him personally, what does she do? The same thing you'll do if you ever just really get in the same room with Jesus. You'll confess. And notice what it says. She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of all the acts of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came. Now by my eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. She, she, she confessed what she was. And what did she say? She said, I was a doubter. I was an unbeliever. I didn't believe it. And I want to tell you something. You can't get saved till you get lost. The first confession of salvation is this, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm wrong. Lord, the, every, everything about me is wrong. And Lord, I need you. I love the story of the, the chaplain 
on the battlefield, and it was a horrible battle, and many young men lie dying and groaning, and all the chaplain could do is go by and listen for a moan and kneel down beside the, the hurt and wounded bodies, and he began to speak to each one of them, and he came to this one young man, and he said, Son, it doesn't look like you're going to live long. Is there anything I can do for you? And the young man looked up. He said, No, sir, but there's a lot I wish you could undo for me. And the chaplain said, I, I can't, but I know someone that can. How many are thankful we've got a Savior that can undo? She said, this is what I've done. I've been a doubter. I've been an unbeliever. I, I, I didn't know. I can't believe I could have ever doubted you. But then she confessed her faith. But now I believe. We had a young man Sunday that got baptized. And baptism is an outward expression of an inward belief. And what that young man did in being baptized is he was saying, I believe. I believe. I didn't believe before, but I believe now. That's why at Liberty Baptist Church, we do what the Bible says. We don't have baby baptism here because mom and dad can't believe for their children. We have believer baptism. And believer's baptism is where a person makes a decision and after that decision, they get baptized to say, I believe, I believe. I didn't, but now I do. Wonderful. She confessed. Baptism is a great way to confess. The Bible says in Acts 2, as many as believed his word were baptized and the same day was added to the church 3,000 souls. Later on in the book of Acts, 5,000 people got baptized. I often wonder if the preacher, if they had been gay back then, they had to rub his shoulder down after that. It's a lot of baptism. Praise God for it. They confessed. Number four, look at what it says in verse number, verse number nine. It says, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in, lighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. You know, that's a political statement. The Lord loved Israel. She was a, a queen of another country, speaking of politics there. And I'll say this about salvation. It'll change the way you believe about politics. And she lined her political beliefs up with the Word of God, which is Israel is God's people. It's exactly what she's saying. But look at verse 10. And she gave. So she came. She communed. Verse 6, she confessed. Verse 10, she contributed. She gave. Now look at me. This is where everybody starts looking down like they dropped something in the floor, okay? I got a question for you. Did Solomon need any more gold? Did Solomon need any more anything? No. She didn't give because Solomon needed it. And I got news for you. We don't give because God needs it. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But she gave as an expression. She contributed as an expression out of the abundance. And look how much gold she gave. Twenty talents of gold. I looked it up. That's four and a half tons of gold. Did you hear that right? Four and a half tons of gold. Plus spices, innumerable, and everything else. And Solomon didn't need it, but she gave it. And look, she didn't give first. She didn't come there and give it. She came to him. She communed with him. She confessed faith in him. I believe now. And then she gave. And I want to tell you something. God hates the idea of you giving something to him to earn your salvation. And any church or preacher that preaches that is wrong. 
But the Bible does teach, on the other hand, we give not in order to get, but we give because we have gotten. And she was acknowledging God. She was saying, listen, I want to do something. You've done so much for me. I acknowledge this is the kingdom. This is God's kingdom. And she gave. This is God's place. That's what she's saying in verse 9. Israel's God's place. And I'll tell you something now. The church is God's place on this earth now. And if you want to be faithful to God, you'll give. And you'll give faithfully. And God's people need to know that. And uh, if you're not giving faithfully to the Lord every week, you're opening yourself up to what the Bible says is a curse. And you're taking away God's blessing from your life. Now, Abraham set the precedent for giving. Did you know that? All the way back in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that Abraham gave 10% to the king of Salem. That word Salem means peace. Have you ever seen, I saw a bumper sticker yesterday in Savannah, and it said Shalom, Shalom. And that word Shalom is like Salem, it means peace. And the king of peace is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And Abraham met the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and when he met him, he gave 10%. So Abraham set the present. The word tithe means 10%. Tithe means 10%. So when a preacher says, you need to give your tithe, what they're saying is you need to give your 10%. That's based on Abraham. Now, Jacob said it this way. Jacob continued, and and the Bible says in Genesis that he vowed a vow, and he said, Lord, I will give 10% of everything you give me back to you. He he made that. He continued that. Uh, in, In the Old Testament, this is the very last book of the Old Testament. Malachi says this. He asked a question. You won't believe this. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to let the Word of God speak to you. Is everybody awake? Listen to this. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Abraham set the precedent. Jacob continued the precedent. The Old Testament ends with that. The New Testament begins with wise men coming. And what do the wise men bring Jesus? You know, it's amazing to me. We get into the Christmas season and people give gifts to everybody but God. And sometimes people quit giving to the Lord. And I want to challenge you as a spiritual leader, as somebody that loves you, I have no dog in this fight, that be faithful to God. Be faithful. Jesus said about tithes that men ought to tithe. He told those men. He said, you tithe of mint and cumin and you leave out the waiter matters, but you ought to do that. But don't forget your heart. And how many of you know when we tithe, we shouldn't be like a, a legal thing. We're saying, well, I gave my tithe, and we grumble about it. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Now, listen, there's people in this room, and I love you, and you're struggling. And one of the reasons you're struggling is you're not being faithful to what God's called you to do, which is give. And you give by faith, and God says, you prove me. Now, prove me. If you put me to the test, you give to me and see if I won't take care of you. You put your finances in, you put your soul in my hand, put your finances in my hand. This choir sang a beautiful song. Wasn't that great? I love that song. And that's a promise about giving. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. God will supply all your needs. 
she contributed. The last thing I'll say about her, and I want to give you this illustration real quick. She, this is a future. Those are four things she did. She came, she communed, she confessed, she contributed. But then uh, Matthew 12 says that in the, in the day of judgment, she will condemn. She's going to condemn. And, and what the Lord did is he set up a precedent for... Uh, with those men that looked him in the face and turned away, and he said, now you, you are a type of people that are going to reject me in salvation. And he talked in Matthew 12 about the unpardonable sin. All manner of sin shall be forgiven, but sin against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven. And what the Lord was talking about there, listen, the unpardonable sin is not something that, that God does to you. The unpardonable sin is something you do to God. And it is where God just like Jesus continually did miracles and continually called those leaders of Israel, I'm your king, I'm your king. You know when Jesus sent the 12 apostles out the first time he sent them out, he, he told them, don't go to any Gentiles, just go to Israel. I want my people to know who I am. And when you go, tell them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your king is here. And they still didn't believe him. And so he said, now, I'm going to use you as a type of people that reject me. And, and people that continually reject what God's asking them to do, they do something to themselves. They commit what's called the unpardonable sin. Th that means you, 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 there's a line with God. You cross the line. Now let me show you what it's like. Okay, so, uh, Daryl, I need you to help me, and I need Keegan. I'm really going to trust these guys here. Okay. All right, now... Uh, Let's see. Man, I meant to get one of my guys to tie me a bowline in this thing so I don't strangle myself. How many of you know what a bowline is? All right. Well, we're just going to do it this way. Oh, Keegan, you're a knot tire, aren't you? I think I got this. Uh, all right. I'm going to put this here. Okay. You're going to see something in church today. You're going to go home and tell your friends about it. Nope. All right. Tie me something there that, that, that won't... That won't Kill me. You want to cinch or not? No, I don't want it to cinch. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure I don't want it to cinch. Is that gonna work? Is it gonna hold me though? Yeah, that's gonna work. Okay, Daryl, you grab that. Now go back over there. Keegan, you stand behind me. Don't let me fall. All right, you got it, Daryl? Okay. Now look at me. Everybody ready? I'm you. You on TV. Y'all watching? Okay, I'm you. Okay, the Lord does what's called conviction. You know what conviction is, right? That's when God is pulling at you. Pull at me a little bit, Daryl, okay? All right, not too much. All right. So I call it this, the quiver in your liver. When you're in church and God, the lump in your throat, the 2 o'clock wake up, And thinking about it. The, your wife calls you and says, you remember so-and-so? They died. And you say, they're the same age as me. Conviction. You know the, I can't wait to get out of here feeling? Or here's what people say today, I'm not going back, they just judge conviction. 
and it pulls. It pulls. And that's what Matthew 12 is about. That pull. That pull. And God was pulling those people, asking them. That's when the preacher gets up, like we're going to do and just, I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you in a few minutes. We're going to say, okay, if you're not saved, this is the day to get saved. If something's not right in your life, this is the time to come to bow your head right now and make, make a commitment to God. If you're not being faithful in some area, what excuse do you have? The Queen of Sheba showed us the way to do it. And she did it with so much little, so little light. She didn't have the New Testament. She didn't have Jesus. She didn't have Calvary. She didn't have the resurrection. And yet she confessed to God, what, what are you waiting on? And he pulls. Now here's the unpardonable sin, okay? You ready, Keegan? All right, now just give me a little pressure there, Daryl. All right, and I say, I, I don't like that. You, I don't really want you behind me. I'm going to like come at you. Okay? <laughs> and here's what people don't understand about God. The Bible says nobody can get saved unless God draws them. Now, some people take that too far and make it like God hog ties them, kits them over the head with a stick, and makes them get saved. How many of you understand God doesn't do that? See, what God gives every one of us is a knife. <laughs> Are you with me? And, and what that is, that's free will. You choose. Now, how many of you know God pulls? God tugs. But you know what he gives you? You ready, Keegan? And you know what happens? You go to church one day. And you get under conviction. You get the quiver in your liver. You get the lump in your throat. All right, and you say, you say what Queen of Sheba said, I'm too busy. Uh-huh. And you cut a little bit, right? And you come back to church, your wife, she's on you, man. She nags you and nags you and nags you. And you finally come back. And the boy, I mean, it, it is an evangelist that time. I mean, one of these, I mean, pew jumping, devil kicking, fried chicken eating. Biscuit and gravy, sopping, Kool-Aid drinking preachers. And a couple of your friends there get saved. And you say, boy, I should do that. And you say, now, nah, you know what? All these preachers are about money. He preached that way just because he wanted a big offering. And so you make another excuse. And you, but he's still pulling. And you go to work and your friend got saved at work. And he comes to you and he says, man, I... I, I, I apologize for the, way I, the, the things I've been, jokes I've been telling, the way I've been talking. And I know, you know, I've been running around on my wife, but I've changed all that, man. God saved me. Yeah. God's made me a new creature. And I'm asking all y'all to forgive me. And you realize he has something you don't have. And the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, you ought to ask him about it. Yeah. And you say, eh, he just, his wife called him and he's just trying to, trying to, yeah. trying to get away, get out of trouble. And you get a little older now and, and you, 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 let's say you, you finally, you know, you get uh, a little money in your pocket and, and um, you're able to get a boat or you're able to get an RV and, and you just don't have to say, well, you know, I, I believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible says about family time. And I can talk to God just as good out there on that lake. And plus, I'm, spending, I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm spending time with my wife. And, uh, and I, I, I don't need that. And, you, and now God's still pulling and then you go to church, and man, you, you, you hear, everybody okay? You're like, this is not good. Got a knife. You know, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinner in the, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Yeah. Keep pulling, Daryl. Don't be afraid. And he, in that sermon, he said, some of you are like a spider hanging over hell, swinging by a cord. Yeah. That's right. 
You know what some of you, you've done? You've been speaking. You've had the Lord speak to you and the Lord speak to you. And, and literally, this is what you got left. And here's the unpardonable sin. There comes a day. When the last time comes. You ready, Keegan? You ready? Take a deep breath. All right. And he can't pull anymore. And you know what you are? You're doomed. You're damned. Nothing else can be done. I've seen people on the hospital bed. The family called me and asked me to talk to them. Never had anything to do with God. Never wanted to talk to the preacher. And I went there and, and explained the gospel as beautifully as you can explain the gospel. And they don't feel a thing. It's dead. Thank you, guys. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment against this generation. She came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, a pagan ruler of a nation with no excuse. What's your excuse? There's nothing like the preaching of God's Word to bring comfort and conviction at the same time. I wonder, what will you do with what you've heard today? We would love to hear from you and pray with you. You may contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. That's enjoyingthejourney.org. I hope you'll be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church wherever you are this Lord's Day. And then join us as we continue our devotional study of the Word of God on Enjoying the Journey in the New Week. May God bless you. And thank you for listening.